journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And what an appropriate time to come back online. Hello, Chai FM listeners. This is Adel Kozulski, and we're back again together for an exciting time. We are starting the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. We have journeyed through the entire book of Genesis. Um, it took us about two and a half years, and I hope you've been following along. If you ever want to go back, remember that we do podcast every single show, and you can go back onto the chaifm.com website and look for any podcast. And I was thinking just before we came on, you know, I'm going to be talking about the concept of Hashkacha Pratit, about divine providence, and how everything comes together in synchronicity. Well, this is very, very much um Synchronized, not by me, but by the greater uh, universe, by God himself, um, in that we are starting the book of Shemot. And in fact, this week is the parsha of Shemot that we read in our yearly cycle. Um, and it is all about the fact that the Jews now have journeyed. They have moved from the land of Israel. They have come into the land of Egypt. And now, whilst the fir- whole book of, of Genesis really was about the first 2,000 not, not 2000, just a little less than 2000 years of history, all the way from the beginning of creation till the end of Jacob and his son's lives. We now spend the next four books of the Bible, um, Shmot, Vayikra, Tvarim, and Bamidbar, all four of them. And uh, we talk about this experience that we had in Egypt and how we left Egypt, how we wandered in the desert, and how eventually after 40 years we make it back to the land of Israel. So kind of we get warped in time, um, and uh, the first thousand and odd years goes by very, very fast, and then we really, really get slowed down into a window of history. And it's a very, very interesting thought and an interesting idea to explore, but really, as we know, um, we learn that everything that happened in the Bible is a sign and it is a lesson for future generations to take to heart. avot siman labanim, whatever our forefathers did is a sign, is a lesson to be taken by the children, by the, by the future generations. And really when we talk about journeying, we're all on a journey. We're on a journey of life. We are journeying from, uh, the, the world of souls that we came down at a particular time, whatever t- the date that is our birth, and we are going to go back again after 120 years, back to whence we came, and we're on a journey, and our journey here is to elevate the world, is to make this world a better place for us to find God in this concealment and form a relationship with God and the ability to do that and um, the need to do that surmounts any type of pleasure that we would ever think of getting in the world to come or any other type of celestial pleasure that your mind um, could extrapolate. Being in this world and being given the opportunity to make this world a better place, to perform tikkun olam, the rectification of this world, making it kinder, more loving, um, more expansive, and going out and helping people with the God-given talents, that's our journey through this world as a law-abiding Torah, 
keeping Jew. And that's why we come together every single week. We come to learn um, from the source of it all, from the five books of Moses, and we learn incredible, incredible lessons. So thank you for joining me on this, uh, this trip, this journey. As always, love to hear your comments, your questions. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. And without further ado, um, if you are relaxing, you're sitting somewhere, open up uh, the five books of Moses, open up to the Pasha of Shemot. Um, so it is the first chapter, and we are looking at chapter one, and we are probably going to do maybe four or five Verses. I've got an incredible, actually I think I'm going to try aim for seven verses. I've got an incredible story um, that comes out of uh, the commentary of the Yalkut Ma'am Noez, which is Midrash, um, which I found absolutely fascinating. But let's look in and see what it is that we can learn as a precursor. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you know, for those that don't know, the Parsha, the 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 um, chapters that we read every single week comes from the first word of the first verse of that uh, collection of chapters, um, and so this parsha is called the parsha of Shemot because it starts with the word Ve'ele Shemot, and these are the names. Shemot is the plural of names. The book. We call it in English Exodus, I guess, because we do go through the Exodus, but it's really the book of names because in Hebrew it's called the Sefer, Sefer Shemot as well, the, the, the book of names. And there's a lot to be spoken about with names. So let's read a couple of verses and let's start dissecting. Ve'ele Shemot b'nei Yisrael, habayim mitzrayma et Yaakov ish u'beito ba'u. That's verse 1. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt with Yaakov. Each man came with his household. So here the Torah is beginning to enumerate who actually came down in the original, if I could say Exodus, the, the Yerida, the going down from Israel into the land of Egypt. Uh, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, Ubinyamin, Dan, Venaftali, Gad, Vaasher. So you see here that again the 12 tribes are enumerated. And we can ask many, many questions um, just on this verse, it seems to be a very, very practical one that they're just describing um, how many, I mean, who came down to Egypt. Truth be said, this was already mentioned in last week, in the last parasha of Vayechi. We know that when they came down to Egypt, who came down to Egypt? We also know how many people came down to Egypt. So why is the Torah... Um, Telling us this all again. Now, just before I answer those two questions, um, we need to understand one, one semantic to the entire thing. And that is that the Midrash tells us that all of Jacob's descendants were married when they came down to Egypt. There were two little kids, Chetzron and Hamol. Chetzron and Hamol were the children of Peretz. Peretz was the son of Judah. And we are told in the Midrash that Chetzron was only 
two years old, and Hamor was only one. So how can the Midrash go and say um, a statement to note that all of Jacob's descendants were married when they came down to Egypt? If they weren't um, physically married, they had already been married off insofar as they had been promised to to someone in the tribe. Now, why is that important? Because the initial 70 people that came down to Egypt, um, Yaakov did not want to um, allow the, any type of assimilation to happen. He did not want anybody to marry out of the faith. And so he made sure that every single one of the 70 souls that came down to Egypt were married or to be married. Um now, let's just talk quickly also about the significance of 70. Why was 70 so important? Exactly 70 people emigrated down to Egypt. So we're told that this entire coming down to Egypt, and as I mentioned initially, Egypt is the prototype of exile. Egypt is the time and place where we will learn how to function in a godless society. And so there was a lot of uh, forethought, understanding, and divine providence that was playing that would actually come to teach us as to why and how um, we can survive in the diaspora. And, hey, the Jews have been around wandering for something like two and a half thousand years. So 70 is an important number. And uh, after the break, I'm going to explain why that 70 is such an important number. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right. So there was an importance as to why uh, the brothers were named again. There was an importance as to why they came down with 70 souls. In fact, I just want to read verse 5. After the names of the brothers, it says, Vayihi called Nefesh Yoitzel Yerech Yaakov. The number of souls that emanated from Jacob's loin. Shivim Nefesh was 70. The Yosef Hayab Mitzrayim and, and, and Joseph was in Egypt. Again, another addition that we can add to our questioning. Really? Joseph was in Egypt? Of course we would know that. The last, I don't know how many parashiyot in Bereshit was talking about the fact that Joseph was in Egypt. Um, that obviously culminated when the brothers came down and Joseph revealed himself. So it seems that the first five verses are completely and utterly superfluous. We know the 12 tribes. We know that there were 70 people. We know that Jake, uh, Joseph was in Egypt. What is this all about? So as mentioned, the first idea is that it is reiterating just to tell us that Jacob ensured that every single member of the 70 were married and that he didn't allow for any form of assimilation to encroach on, on, on them. Now, one of the other reasons given as to why they were mentioned again, and if you actually go look at the first time they were counted to the second time they were mentioned, the order keeps on changing. And this is a very important lesson that um, while every time we speak about the 12 tribes, the order is different, nevertheless, it is an emphasis that they were all equal, meaning the sons of Rachel and the sons of, of, of Leah were no more important than those of Billa and Zilpah, um, who were the, the maidservants. 
all of Jacob's children were equal. Yes, there were certain um, characteristics given to 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 some of the brothers. For example, we know that Judah was honoured um, by having the royal line. He 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 landed up getting the kingship, and we know that um, Levi was honoured because he fathered all the Kohanim and the the Levim. We know that Reuben was the firstborn. We know that Joseph was given given the birthright afterwards. We know that Yisachar was the most intelligent. Nevertheless, the Elish Mot B'nai Israel, these are the names of the children of Israel, come to teach us that in essence and in truth, while there might be many facets to the Jewish people, as it, as it was to the group of people that went down to Egypt, we are all one. And we spoke extensively about that, that... God does not create any two people the same, okay? And while we strive for equality and for people to be treated in the same manner, nevertheless, every person has to recognize and understand that they have been born with unique qualities, unique um, gifts, and it's for us to find our corner of the world where we can make a change. And it doesn't have to be that you have to be on the, on the world stage, that you have to become the, the president of the United States or become a Nobel Prize winner. You can be, and I'm putting inverted commas, a simple human being, and this is not in a derogatory way, but um, in, in a pure way, and maybe just be a mother of children. Um, know that you are changing worlds by by being a fully present mother at home. Maybe you have a skill that you can sing, you can dance, you can paint, you can talk, you can teach, you can whatever it is that you can do. Um, you will know, you will see where your strengths are, and it's up to you to use those strengths. Having said all of that, um, it shows us that all Jews are equal. And it doesn't matter if you go Reuben, Shimon, Levi, and do it one way, and the next day go Yisachar, Asher, Reuben, Levi. It doesn't matter. In essence, we are all one. We all emanate from God. We're all a chilek and a mamish. We're all a veritable part of godliness. Nevertheless, when we come into this world, we do have our skills and our gifts that we bring to this world. The second reason as to why they're enumerated again is we are told that um, we're enumerated because it is indicative of how precious God God looks at us, how we stand before God. Now we know that the children of Israel um, were promised to Abraham as being as many as the stars. We are likened to stars. Now the stars are counted on high, says the Midrash, twice a day: once when they rise, and once when they fade in the morning. Um, and it says that the reason why we are mentioned again over here is that uh, God is enumerating Yaakov's sons before their lifetime and after their lifetime because they were beloved to God. You know, when you count something, when, you, when you've got something precious, if you've got precious jewels, um, you, you count them again and again and again simply because they are so precious. Very interestingly, as a sideline, they, um, <clears throat> as is well known, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory spent thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours um, engaging with Jews. And one of the ways in his later years that he engaged with Jews is that there would be this concept called Sunday dollars where people would stand in a line and would come before the Rebbe um, to receive a blessing, to ask some advice, 
or even just to receive um, something from his holy hand. And the Rebbe would give out dollars, American dollars, um, because that was a vehicle of charity. You would take it away and would you were allowed to keep the dollar you received from the Rebbe directly, but you would have to give money to charity. And the Rebbe would stand for hours and hours and hours talking to people, anybody who had um, the opportunity to stand in, 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 you know, online will attest as I had, I, I, I was very, very fortunate to do it a number of times. You would stand from nine o'clock in the morning and you could stand for three, four hours waiting for your turn, um, you know, to, to, to get to be by the Rebbe for just a couple of seconds. And at one time, somebody did ask the Rebbe, like, don't you get tired? And I remember the Rebbe, um, instituted this much later in his leadership. And so in his seventies and in his eighties, this is when a man was, sta- this man was standing for hours on end, um, greeting people. And the Rebbe replied to him, why would one get tired when they're counting diamonds? And this was like exactly what we are saying over here that, um, that counting is, is a form of, of love. It's a form of, um, understanding what it is that you own, what it is that, that the, the, the value of what we have. And so when we count, okay, we confer importance on it. We focus our attention on it. And because God loves the Jewish people, that's what he does. He brings our attention back again. He gives us importance back again. So that is very, very important. Um, and also one of the other things that it says in the Zohar that every time they were counted and this accounting addressed a different level of the soul. There's a count that reveals each soul's essence as it exists in, in, in the heavens before it descends to earth. Um, then there is the soul when it comes down. There's a soul when it comes back. There's all the different levels of the soul. And so every time God counts them, mentions them, and in, in different orders, there is the idea that, that, that God loves us and God, it is important. And that leads on to the explanation and the understanding as to why there were 70 souls. Because 70, the 70 souls, um, are a, are, are standing for the 70 nations of the world. We believe that there are 70 root nations in this world. And while, while all nations of the world are run by providence, they are run by providence under the curatorship of an angel. The 70 souls of the Jewish people are run by what's called Hashkacha Pratit, that God himself directs the destiny of every Jew and sees to his needs. And therefore he new, enumerates them again as, and in, as an individual. And finally, why does the Torah specify that Joseph was in Egypt? It's, as we said, it's well known. Hey, if we just, you know, even a little kid will know that Joseph was in Egypt. We've been reading it for, for many, many parashiot. So here comes a, a lesson to teach us that, again, it's being mentioned that he was in Egypt because it's singing his praises, meaning that although Joseph was in Egypt, he never, ever learned from the bad ways of the Egyptians. Now, remember, he was king in 
Egypt for, for nearly 80 years, um, and he served with great honor. Um, and it would have taken nobody by surprise if they, you know, if, if he had sinned somewhere or, or did something wrong because he's sitting in a situation that is godless. But we know the greatness of Joseph was that he never did sin. In fact, he desisted to the amount, uh, to, 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 to the extent that he was thrown into prison when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He always maintained integrity. And this is a very, very um, powerful lesson to, to, for us to learn. And that is, is that, as I said, Egypt now and this whole going down to Egypt is going to be the prototype for all our exiles. Now, their exile occurs on many, many levels. You have exile on a macrocosmic level where you physically are moved from one place to another. And shoo, the Jewish people have certainly transversed the, this planet and moved from one exile to another. So we certainly could, could and can learn the lessons from, from Egypt in terms of moving across, across countries and across nations. And one of the most important things that we learned as a people is the Eilish Shmot. These are the names that we never ever got rid of our Jewish names. And in fact, again, going back to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, one of the campaigns that the Rebbe pushed a lot was to ask um, to ask Jews to maintain their Jewish names and in fact use their Jewish names. And by this I mean your Hebrew names. So today we do tend to have a custom to name the child, uh, uh, I don't know, David Avraham at, at, at his bris and then call him Degan. <laughs> and again, no insult to anything, anything or anybody, no reference to anything or anybody, and give them a non-Jewish name by which they will be known in this world. What we are taught is one of the reasons why the Jews left the land of Egypt, but one of the things that marked the Jews as a Jew is that they kept their Jewish name. And in keeping your Jewish name, a name is something that's not just an arbitrary Oh, it's just, I don't know, you look like a, a Linda, you look like a Leia, you look like a whatever. No, your Jewish name, your Hebrew name is the essence of your soul. And so by maintaining the ability to have a Jewish name, we are maintaining our identity. We are maintaining our connection to the divine. We are maintaining a connection to the essence of our souls. So it's very, very important that we focus on that. And this is, again, one of the strengths then, then we get to be like Joseph, who, who was in Egypt. It's a state, stated fact. We don't have to be reminded of it. The reason why it's brought back to us and reminding, um, reminding us is that he never sinned because he always remembered who he was. And what an important lesson to learn today. Um, the Jewish nation in the diaspora is 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 dying due to assimilation and um, the assimilation rates in 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 America and in Europe and even in South Africa the rates are horrific and one of the ways that we 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 counter that is to remember our name not only to be called by our Jewish name but to act Jewishly and to embrace our Judaism 
And that is very, very important. Now, one other interesting thing, again, that kind of like is stating the obvious, the obvious is that they came, Habayim Mitzrayim et Yaakov. They came to Egypt with Jacob. Okay. Again, we know that, uh, <laughs> Jacob came down with, with, with them. Like, it, why are you stating it? It seems like this, these, all these five, Verses are stating a fact that we all know, even the little kid in grade one or grade two who's going to learn Parshat Shmot, you don't have to tell them again that there were 12 tribes, these are their names, and came down to Egypt, that Jacob, uh, Joseph was in Egypt, that there were 70 of them. We know all of that in Pshat, in simple black and white. Why is it being uh, said again? And the answer is, is that they came to Egypt with Yaakov. Okay, um, so if you look at the verse, I'm just turning the page to go find it back again. Habayim Mitzrayim et Yaakov, they came with Yaakov. So what it's coming to teach us is that it wasn't just that they physically came down to Egypt, but that they were all righteous, just like Jacob. They accepted all the commandments and the teachings that Jacob did. They kept their Judaism like Jacob. And here's the other powerful lesson is that to be Jewish means to follow in our ancestor steps, to show ourselves and the world that we are Jewish. And how do we do that? By keeping the mitzvot, by keeping the commandments of the Torah. One other interesting idea, it says, and these are the names of the children of um, that came down to Egypt. Why doesn't it say, Ele Shmot Benezra, these are the names as we have in Dvarim. Ele um, Hadvarim. These are the words. It doesn't say V-Ele. So there's a rule that if it says V-Ele, you have the Vav, which means and, and and means to connect. It means that all the 70 that came came down, were related to their forefathers, and what was the relationship? It was the relationship of saintliness, that they were like the others that came before them. They are very, very much connected to the others. Um, and so they were perfect saints, and each of them were significant um, as, as a completed nation. Right, verse 6, Vayamat Yosef, Yosef ve'etkol echav, and all his brothers ve'chol hador, and that entire generation died. We're not told um, practically in the verses who died when, but just as a quick pricey for you, Reuben lived 125 years, Shimon 120 years, Levi 137 years, Yehuda 119 years, Dan 125 years, Naphtali 133 years, Asher 123, Yisachar 122, Zvulun 114, Joseph 110, and Benjamin 115. So to do a pricey, you can see that Levi lived longer than any of his brothers and that Joseph died the youngest. Now, why would you think that Joseph, the greatest brother, would die the youngest? You're going to have to wait for this one. But in the meantime, if you do have an answer, 34519 is our SMS line. 
0891-104-106-9 is our telegram number. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so why did Yat Joseph live the shortest? Surely, it would seem, if he was the head of the brothers and, and, and he did so much that he would have been given the longest life. So um, we are told, in fact, that Joseph was supposed to live 120 years, um, but in fact, 10 years were taken away from him. Why, says the Midrash? Because when the brothers came to Yosef, to Joseph, and they referred to their father, they used the verse, the expression, your servant, our father. Right before they knew that Joseph was their brother, they thought they were talking to the viceroy of Egypt. Every time they spoke about Jacob, they spoke and said, your servant, our father. You can go back and look at it. And the Midrash goes and says, because Joseph remained silent and allowed his father to be denigrated by being called Joseph's servant, every time they used that expression, he lost a year of his life. Now, if you want to be pedantic about it and go back, you will see that when they use the word, your servant, our father, or your servant, my father, okay, whenever they spoke about Jacob, there was only five instances of that. So why did he get 10 years taken off his life? He should have had five years taken off of his life. So we are told that until Joseph revealed himself, he never told them that he spoke in Hebrew. So the brothers would speak, and then they would have to have an interpreter translating all the brothers' words to Joseph from Hebrew to Egyptian. So he heard the expression, your servant, our father, or your servant, my father, ten times. Five times when they verbalized it, five times when the interpreter interpreted. And so each time a year was taken from his life for taking his father's honor lightly. Wowzers. How's that about worrying about the honor of your father and fulfilling the mitzvah of kibbud av va'em? We're also told, interestingly, that um, Joseph, others say that Joseph was supposed to live 147 years as his father Jacob had, but 37 of those years were given to King David as a gift. That is contrary to the fact that it says that um, Adam um, gave 70 years to David. I don't know. I don't know why there is a disparity there, but this is a, another opinion. And just one last thing before I want to tell you a story is that the year in which each of Jacob's sons died is not specified in the Torah, and we don't know their births. There are only two exceptions, Yosef and Levi. We know that Joseph was born in the year 2199, when Jacob was 91 years old. Then we know that Jacob lived 110 years, so we know that he died in the year 2309. And the same thing with Levi, we know he was born in the year 2194, and he lived 137 years, so he died in 2331. Other than that, we are not sure of the exact dates and births, even though if you go back to the podcast, um, I did mention when in the Pasha, where the sons were born, um, how people extrapolated backwards. Right, verse 7. 
Otam. The children of Israel were fertile, very, very fertile, and their population increased. They became very, very numerous, and the land was filled with them. Now, we are told in the Midrash, and it's well known, that when women fell pregnant in Egypt, they gave birth to six now, you might think that that's strange. It's not so strange today. Um, we know um, that we've, we've seen pictures of mothers giving birth to sextuplets. Um, and how do we know over here that it, it was like that? Because it says, Paru ve'yishritsu ve'yirbu. They were, they were fertile. They, they increased. And the word yishritsu comes from the word sheretz. Sheretz is a crawling animal, and this is not a, a derogatory thing. It's just an, a, an analogy that just like animals who give birth to many in a litter, that is what happened to the Jewish mothers. They gave birth six at a time. Boom, boom, boom. Not only that, all married women in Egypt had children. Not a single man or woman was sterile. No babies died in infancy. They all grew up. They were strong. They were healthy. They were large, they were powerful, and that's why it says, The land was filled with them. Ma'od, ma'od. And ma'od, ma'od means very, very, very much, but it is also over here um, to tell us that they had a lot of money to go and support because you could think, well, if my wife had just, just three pregnancies, I'd have 18 children, wowzers. Um, today, people give horrible excuses about only having two kids because um, of affordability. Well, can you imagine just having two or three, even two pregnancies and having a dozen kids? It's because um, they also had the means to uh, to support them. Now, I just want to quickly end off with quite a long story, but to tell you about the power of the Jewish people and how many they were and how strong they were. So if you recall in the previous parasha, we described how Esav and his men attacked the Jews when they came to bury Yaakov. And if you recall then, we said that many of Esav's men were killed and Esav's grandson, his name was Tsefo, he was taken prisoner and he was was placed in chains and, and Joseph sent him to Egypt and he remained there for the rest of his life. When Joseph died, we are told Tsefo and his men managed to escape. And where did they go? They fled to a city in Africa. The king at that time in Africa was a king by the name of Angius. And he received them with great honor and he appointed Tsefo as his prime minister. And once Tsefo established himself, in this position, he requested permission from the king, the, the African king, that he raise an army of seasoned warriors to, to go and wage a war of revenge against the Israelites for killing his grandfather, Asav. And the king faffed it off. He said, maybe you haven't heard reports that we've been receiving about these Israelites. I hear that they are very powerful warriors and that no one can beat them in battle. Well, Tsefot decided, well, he'll wait a while. He'll, and then he'll approach the king again and he started planning his strategy but every time he came the king said nope I'm not going I know the Israelites they're very very powerful eventually Tsefo was so insistent that the king could no longer refuse him 
So the king gave him orders, prepare for war, and an army as numerous, we are told, as the sand of the sea was assembled. Now, this King Angius, who was this African king, had a 15-year-old grandson. And for anybody who's a biblical scholar, your ears are going to pick, pick up. His, this grandson's name was Bilam ben Beor. Now, you know about Bilam much later on. Well, here's the, here's the origins of Bilam. He was a master occultist. He was a magician. And he was able to perform unbelievably powerful magic. And so before going to the war, the king asked his grandson to examine carefully all the omens and everything. And when Bilam did, he said, no, your army is going to be demolished by the children of Jacob. And so the king said, abandon all, all plans of war and send the troops home. But this Tsefal, um was had set his heart on fighting the Israelites, and when this king, Angus, dismissed his army, he was furious, he rebelled against the king, and he went to the land of Kittim, which we are told today is Italy. There he was received with great acclaim, he was a renowned warrior, and they chose him as the general of the Kittim troops. And he became very wealthy, and eventually, and he fought many wars, and he eventually became king of of Italy. Thirteen years later, the African army attacked the city of Kittim and laid siege to it, um, and Sephor would lead his troops into battle against the, the Africans, and he would defeat them each and every time. And so now this African king, Angus, became very scared of this Sephor, and he decided to attack them one more time. Um, he, he, he called on other, uh, other uh, armies, they tried, they came apparently attacking with 180,000 people. Tsefo had only 3,000 guys and Tsefo got really, really nervous now that this king from Africa with his brother Luke, we are told was his name, that they, that he was going to be mauled. So what did he do? He prayed to the God of Israel because after all, he's a cousin of a cousin of a cousin, right? He's a grandson of Esau. Esau's father was Yaakov. Stay tuned. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so he basically, Tsefo, prays to, to God, and he says, In the merit of my great-grandfathers, Abraham and Yitzchak, allow me to be victorious. And, um, yep, he smashes this King Angus. And when the, 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 this King Angus with his 180,000 men gets wiped, what happens is the grandson, Bilam ben Baor, um, who was originally on the side of the African king, sees the disastrous defeat and he defects to Tsefor and he places himself at his mercy. And of course, Tsefor, it's all about politics, it's all about who you are. He accepts him with honor. And it's still driving Tsefor mad that he wants to go against the Jews. So he calls Hadad ben Badad, who's the king of Edom, and he, together with the king of Edom, assemble their troops, and they decide to go and um, attack the Egyptians and the, the primarily the Israelites. We're told initially the Egyptians said to the Jewish people, you stay here in Egypt, we'll fight against these invaders. If we need you, we will Send for you. They were scared because they thought maybe the Jews would uh, would 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 form some uh, do some form of treachery, right? Because at the end of the day, um, this is their 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 cousins, right? It's 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 the line of Asav, and it's 
pretty, it's, it's blood relatives. They had an incredibly big battle, we are told, in a field called Tach Panches. Um, Tsefo brought along this Bilam ben Boor, and Bilam um, told him that he is going to, um, he's, he's, he's going to cast the spell. Um, but what happened was that, um, and, and in fact that was true, and what happened was that Tsefo actually managed to give the Egyptian an absolute clobbering. They really, really, really got hurt. And the Egyptian army fled. They broke up. They were pursued by Tsefo's army, and they really got nervous. So what do they do? They then called on the backup of the Jews, the Jews who were many, the Jews who were powerful. And we are told that as soon as the Jews came and joined this battle, the tide turned. 4,000 of Tsefo's best troops were dead on the battlefield, the Jews did not suffer a single loss. And when he saw this, he understood again the initial thing from the king, that, 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 that African king, that Jacob's sons were great warriors and their children were no less great. And in fact, we're told at the end in the Midrash that the Israelites pursued Sepho's army as far as Ethiopia. Um, and the Jews came back victorious. Well, that was how the Jews proliferated and they remained Powerful, powerful strength that was given to them not only physically but spiritually um, by the inheritance of Jacob. And with that, we're going to leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please God, I'll be back, same time, same place, next week. Have a Shavuot Tov.